How, um, how true is that? I need you every hour, every hour. I am in desperate need of the Lord. I greet you this morning. It is a joy to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a delight to be back with you. Uh, Wendy and I enjoyed a, a, a brief time down south with our family. Um, I leave for one week and you guys, you guys move forward to buy a new church? Wow. I was so delighted to get reports throughout the day of a unanimous decision, which is a complete indication of the work of the Holy Spirit. Unity is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. And so we give God all of the glory for that. Um, what, what a delight. Um, it was so neat to hear. Uh, I listened to Pastor Nick preach uh, this past week that we have just been so blessed with a youth pastor and his wife. Um, and I'm thankful for the clear um, communicating of God's word. If you see Pastor Nick today, make sure that you uh, wish him happy birthday. It is his 26th birthday. He told me he, he was getting old. I, I have kids almost that old. <laughs> Very quickly, let me remind you personally, if you are visiting with us or, or a new attender within the last six, we can even stretch it, last eight months, uh, please make effort to be out to our home. Uh, there's a date, a couple dates downstairs. Sign up. Wendy and I would love to get to know you, um, as well as Nick and Ashley, uh, opportunity to get to know you. Uh, there's just a lot of new faces, and I, and I feel bad that we're missing uh, new faces, and so we want to offer... Um, our home up to you, open up to you just to, to get to know one another better. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, take your Bibles please and turn with me there. Uh, we'll be reading in just a moment the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself as he teaches us the very important matter on, on prayer and how to pray and what we are to pray for. Once you've found that, let's, let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we thank you that fresh on our minds is this very thought, this very idea that says we need you. Oh, we, we need you. I, I desperately need you. God, I would ask that at this very moment, as we um, have gathered together in your sovereign plan to be here this day, to hear these, these words, uh, God, I would ask that you would allow me to simply disappear, that a man would not be heard or seen or focused upon, God, that you would guard my lips to say only words that would bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for each person that is here. I pray, Lord, specifically for those that are here today that are heavy-hearted, that are in the midst of something, a struggle, a trial, a problem. God, minister to them. Encourage them, refresh them, remind them that you are right here for them. I pray, Lord, for this community. I pray, Lord, for my brothers that are preaching the gospel. May they be faithful in that endeavor. May they hold, hold to the truth of the gospel and, and communicate that, Lord. And may you have your way with us as believers in this community. And may this community be changed for your glory. We ask these things in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus Christ is speaking, he's teaching his disciples and to listeners that are there, and Holy Spirit speaks to you and I this morning with these words. Listen carefully. 
Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's three words in the first portion of that prayer that literally jump off of the page, reminding us, excuse me, not only who we're praying to in God's holiness, but what specifically we are to be praying for. First and foremost, it says, there's these three words, that your kingdom come. I don't know if you realize that or not, but that is big. Matter of fact, that is, that is very, very, very big. Many people don't realize that the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, it's synonymous, is the single most repeated phrase in the entire New Testament. We are instructed to pray for God's kingdom to come. Understand it is that structure in which what? God rules and reigns over everything. It abides basically in a universal sense, which means what? Everything is under God's rule, under God's reign. It is a eternal, total Absolute, supernatural, sovereign rule over everything. David, King David, right before he hands the throne to his son Solomon, declares this in First Chronicles chapter 29. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel and Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. There is a universal sense of God's kingdom that he is sovereign over everything. But there's also a portion that is referred to as a redemptive sense. God's kingdom in a redemptive sense. The Lord's prayer is a reference to this redemptive kingdom that is a supernatural realm of believing people or followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that advance God's kingdom for God's glory. How do we do this? We're to advance God's kingdom for God's glory. We do it first and foremost through salvation. We speak the truth of the gospel. We call that evangelism. And we pray that God in his sovereignty would draw people unto himself. Not only do we do it through salvation, we do it through sanctification, the process. It begins with discipleship, where we dig into God's word. And we learn about the importance about being set apart. We're set up, set separately in our holiness for the Lord's. The redemptive sense of this kingdom happens through salvation, through sanctification, and ultimately through the second coming, the final establishment of a literal kingdom reign. This is huge. We're instructed to pray for this. 
spent significant time in the past several months speaking about the vision that I believe that God has given to us as a local church. Today I'm going to call what I call a necessary work session on this idea of our vision. Next week, we're going to commence, we're going to start a new series in the book of Galatians, Forever Free. It's probably going to take us the next year to do it. So I thought we want to pause now, and we have a necessary work session. Let me remind you of our vision of what we feel God has called us to do as a local church in this community. It states this. It's everywhere. All over our website, everywhere you see this vision. To build relationships so that God is glorified and lives families, and the community are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's this idea here of transforming a community. I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound pretty big? Like, so we as a church have a literal goal, a vision. We're going to transform, that means change, an entire community. Well, well, isn't that, wait a minute, doesn't God instruct us to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come? That's big. Well, transforming a community is big, but let me tell you this. With God, all things are possible, and it is most doable. What I want to do is extract, if we could dissect this vision for a moment. So I don't know if you realize it, but there's, there, there's this concept first and foremost that we could almost use overarching the entire vision is what this phrase that, that God is to be glorified. First Corinthians says, everything that we do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it unto God's glory. Every breath that we take, every word that comes out of our mouth, every step that we take, we do it as what? Unto God's glory. God is to be glorified over everything. We dissect that vision. We know that overarching, God is to be glorified. And then there's four key words. In a sense, we could reduce the vision to these, these four key words. We're going to take those apart and, 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 and dialogue on those. The first word is this, relationships. The second word that we see is community. The third word that we see is transformed. And the fourth word is gospel. Let's begin with this first word, relationships. Here's what you and I need to do. Number one, build relationships. Number one, we build relationships. Understand that at Big Woods Bible Church, people matter. We are to build relationships with a purpose. I oftentimes use the term relational intentionality. Why? Because it's very, very easy for you and I to to move through life, to live life, to walk through life with blinders on. We see what? We see our own home. We look out our windows and see our lawn. We look and we see our children. We see our workplace, our problems. What I want to remind you is this. First and foremost, You and I have a responsibility to open up our eyes. Lift up your head, lean in, and see other people. 
You have got to see other people. There are people all over this place that are hurting, that are alone, that are asking questions, that are wondering about things, that are worrying about things, they're, they're struggling with fear, they're hungry and thirsty for the truth. Now understand, this does not include every, include every single person in our community. Some people are blinded and they are perfectly blissful in their blindness. Okay? What do we do in those situations? We pray for those people. We love those people. And when opportunity comes, we speak truth into the lives of those people. But I'm talking about this particular context when we see people that are honestly looking for the answers, and there are many of them out there, we pray, God, direct me to the right person. Direct me to people that need love, want to be loved, want to have hope offered to them. Well, How, how do we do this? How do we build relationships? Let me show you first and foremost that, that what you've got to do is you've got to show interest in their lives. I will, and I would encourage you to, ask questions. People always want to talk about themselves. Ask questions. If your neighbor wants to talk about his lawn every single time you see him, then you ask questions. You learn about seed and soil and fertilizer and lawnmowers or string trimmers or whatever it is. Ask questions about that. If, if the colleague that you work with, all he wants to talk about is his daughter's soccer, I tell you what, you better learn about soccer. You better know the difference between a goal kick and a, and, and a penalty kick and a corner kick and a, and a striker from a sweeper or from a stopper. You gotta know that stuff. Ask questions. Part of my, when I developed back in 2002, when I was in the process of my ordination, I had to develop a formal philosophy of ministry. And stated in that philosophy of ministry is one phrase, you have probably heard it a thousand times from me. You'll hear it a thousand and one, because here it is. Part of my formal approach of even how we do this is this concept. People do not care what you know until they know that you care. Remember that Jesus demonstrated that. Christ modeled that over and over and over again. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the crippled, the lame, the, the, the blind, the hungry Christ Saul, others. We are what? We, we're, we're followers of Christ. We are to see other people. Remember what it says in Luke chapter 6. A great brother of the Lord reminded me of this even this week. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 52, it says this. What's interesting is that when we study the life of Jesus, we know that what, what his, the last time, as far as a child, he's about 12 years old, at the temple. And then there's this huge gap, and we don't really know anything from the life of Jesus until we pick it up, and he's 30 years old when he begins his formal ministry. So there's 18 years we know nothing other than one phrase. 
Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. As he grew, he increased in the connection, in the relationship, not only that he had with his heavenly father, with his father, but with other people as well, with man. Let me tell you this, we come to church and it is not about us. It's not what you want. Okay, we, we come, why? Because we see ultimately the Lord first and foremost, but we also see other people. We come to church, but we come to church to give, not to get. We come to church and we worship together and we are taught together and we learn things and we are fed and we are nourished and we are encouraged. Why? So that every single time after we finish worship, we literally burst out of this building and we're able to go through one more week building relationships, making connections with people, offering them the exact same hope and joy and peace and love that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Apostle John said it like this in 1 John chapter 3, for this is the message that you have heard from the very beginning, from the very beginning, that we should love one another. Number one, build relationships. Second word is we dissect this vision and we work it. All under what? God being glorified. Build relationships. Number two, community is the word community. Know your community. You and I cannot have a goal to transform a community if we do not know about the community. Let me say that again. We cannot have a goal to transform a community unless we know about the community. First and foremost, what you need to do is acknowledge all the incredible and wonderful things that God in his grace has blessed us with by allowing us to live in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. I would say you need to get to know Lock Haven. You need to get to know what? The Pennsylvania Wilds. You need to get to, to, to know the roots of the West Branch of the Susquehanna River. You got to know about the trophy trout streams that exist here. Hike Bald Eagle Ridge and, and bike rails to trails. Know about the hunting. Know about the kayaking. Become a student of our own history here. Understand that Lock Haven is the seat of Clinton County. Understand about the founding of Lock Haven University back in, in 1870. And it has grown, what, to be a, a university of more than 5,300 students right here in our own community. No, about a guy by the name of William T. Piper who purchased a bankrupt airplane production company for $761 in 1930. In 1937, he moved that to an abandoned silk mill in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And in the years to come, what, through the work of people in this community, it grew to be a multi-million dollar international corporation. You need to know that. Learn about the flood. 
devastating flood of 72. Know about our wrestling tradition in this area, our back-to-back women's softball national championships from LHU. Know about Keystone, Little League Baseball. Know the difference between a Central Mountain Wildcat and a Jersey Shore Bulldog, and don't get them confused. (laughs) Know who Robbie Gold is, and know who Mayor Vallejo is, and and pray for him. Pray for our congressman, G.T. Thompson, and, and his wife, Penny, and pray for our district attorney. Support our local businesses and shop downtown, and support our firemen and our policemen, and learn about the Clinton County Fair and the annual fly-in and the boat races and the regatta. Read the Lock Haven Express. Learn who Mark the Shark and his toy drive is all about. Learn that stuff. Be a part of spring cleanup. Study the demographics. Know about and praise God for his creative handiwork and celebrate all that God has given and blessed us with. But secondly, you need to know this. Know why this community needs to be transformed. You also need to know that. One of the things, Wendy, and I just loved about Lock Haven when we visited before I became uh, pastor at Big Woods was the number of young people, Lock Haven University and, and Central Mountain High School and area high schools and the number of, of, of young people. And I was encouraged to know that we have a campus pastor on residence at Lock Haven University After our first year here, we knew that that there's still a big gap, and so we brought on Nick and Ashley full-time to minister to the youth in this community. And do you realize that in the first year that Nick and Ashley were here, we as a community buried six students from our area high school. They did not die of disease. They died as a result of drug or alcohol-related causes. And and I remember that just rattled by that, this is our community. And I remember taking the elders, and we went up into the woods in a cabin, and we prayed, locked ourselves in for a weekend, and said, God, give us a vision. What what are we supposed to do with this? We, We have to know about our community Indiana University of Pennsylvania did an extensive study on drug use and abuse in our area right here. Um, Alcohol represents a major public health concern because of its widespread use and social and health-related consequences of that use. Heroin has been viewed by law enforcement as the number one drug threat in Pennsylvania. Um, our, our own organization right in this community, West Branch Drug and Alcohol, reported this. Listen to this. In, in September 2010, of all the heroin-related cases that, that were reported, 8.2% came out of Clinton County. By March this month, 2014, that number has almost tripled, that almost 24% of all heroin cases that has been reported, people working with, come out of our community. You, you need to understand the nationwide Oxycontin and other diverted pharmaceuticals have shown recent increases. Use of diverted pharmaceuticals in Pennsylvania is unbelievably high. The use of these drugs appears somewhat more concentrated in what? In rural areas such as this. 
Realize that, that Clinton County leads the entire state of Pennsylvania in people that are arrested for drunk driving per capita more than any other county per thousand people. Do you realize that? That's our community. We have to understand that we live in a community that is devastated by divorce. It is devastated by dis- dysfunction in homes. Marriages that are crumbling and falling. Kids that have no leadership, no direction. We live in a community that needs hope. Community that needs to be transformed. Know your community. Thirdly, here it is. Transformed. I want you to understand the importance. You are to tell your transformed story. You. If you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you're a follower of Jesus, you have a responsibility to tell your story. It needs to be told. It is not boasting. It is not bragging. What is it? It is what? It is so God gets the glory. We don't sensationalize sin. We don't bring out every sordid, disgusting detail of of sins in the past. But we need to understand the importance of telling how how the gospel has transformed. We're encouraging people right here at our church to, to write down. It's a great writing exercise. One page takes about three minutes to read. It'll take you longer to write. That's okay. About three minutes to read it so that you can tell your story. It needs to be told. It's amazing. God's time is just so wonderful that some area pastors, we write a little piece in the newspaper um, uh, for the Lock Haven Express called Finding Faith. And and just yesterday, I did this. This isn't actually, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I've not done. And so I did this and, and it was printed in yesterday's Paper. Let, let me read to you, just so that you understand. There's nothing fascinating about my story at all. There's nothing. Let, let me show you. This is, this is how it happens. This is what we're to do. This is what you're to do. Here's my story. I was born in Philadelphia. One day when I was a little boy, I was sitting on a bed helping my mom fold socks while watching Billy Graham preach on television. I heard something so simple that even a little boy could understand it. I heard everyone is a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed someone to take care of my sin. And I heard that someone was Jesus. I heard the gospel. I trusted Jesus. I didn't understand everything, but my journey had begun. I was very shy. I had a stuttering problem. I struggled in school. When I was seven years old, my parents began serving Jesus at a Christian camp in Canada. I didn't understand why we would move from Pennsylvania to Nova Scotia to do that, but I liked it. We talked about Jesus. We talked to Jesus. We learned to trust Jesus. I met a girl named Wendy at that camp. I liked her. I thought she was cute. She thought I was kind of a jerk. (laughs) I realized I was a jerk. I was an arrogant, self-absorbed, dumb jock. I tried to slowly convince her otherwise. I sat next to her in junior high. We dated for several years in high school. We went to the same college together. We talked about getting married. 
Her dad was a pastor. I thought, cool, he could marry us. Wendy said that she would marry me if I didn't become a pastor. I thought, deal. Because all pastors do is read books and listen to people's problems. And I don't like to do either of those things. I was still a jerk. We got married. I graduated from college. I became a teacher and a baseball coach. We had two kids. I was doing everything I wanted to do with my life. One day I was teaching an eighth grade geography class when I realized that my students, with complete bored look on their faces, did not care about the average rainfall in Argentina. I was shocked. I then realized I did not care about the average rainfall in Argentina. Without being offensive to the Argentinian raisin farmers, I thought to myself, How does knowing that information matter a thousand years from now? I finished my class. I walked to the principal's office and I said, I can't do this. I feel like I'm lying to these students by telling them they need to know this information when I don't care if I know the information. I finished my contract. After four years of teaching and coaching, I resigned. I met with my pastor. He listened to my problem. He prayed with me and he prayed with Wendy. And I liked that. I liked him. I began to change. Wendy began to change. We began to see other people as more important than we saw ourselves. We began to pray together more. We began to read the Bible together more. We began to trust Jesus more. I was asked to speak at a small church In northern Maine, I went, we went. We were scared. But we fell in love with the people and with the message of the gospel. We realized that just as Jesus can change our life, he can change other people's lives. I became the pastor of that little church. I went back to school. I did my graduate work. I was ordained. I learned it's not about what I want to do with my life. It's what God wants to do with my life. Now, almost 20 years later, I still do not understand it all. But I do understand that I am a sinner and Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sin and rose from the dead three days later so I can walk a brand new life forgiven as a follower of Jesus. I know Jesus transformed my life from being a scared, self-conscious, self-absorbed jerk to being a man who has been blessed by God's grace to have the greatest job in the entire world. I love to read books. I love to listen to people's problems. I love to pray with people. And most importantly, I love to share with them the simple truth of the gospel. And Wendy loves being happy. To a pastor. Although we are all sinners, there is someone who can take care of that sin, and that someone is Jesus. I tried to keep it to three minutes. It's a little longer. I'm working on it. You have a story. 
You have to tell that story. People in this community have got to understand that there is hope for their lives. Fourthly and finally, there's this last word, the gospel. Let me tell you this. Trust the power of the gospel. Trust the power of the gospel. The single most important component of our entire vision is the gospel. The single most important purpose for existence as a local church is surrounded around the gospel. Without the gospel, we have nothing. Without the gospel, we are nothing. An atheist would say this, there is no God. An agnostic would say, there might be a God, but you could never know him. And so what happens in those cases? You live and you die and you rot in the ground without meaning and without purpose. Not so with the gospel. The Buddhist, the Hinduist, the Sikhist would say, think good things. And if you think enough good things over the bad things, then you might make it to nirvana. A cultist and a legalist would say what? Do good things. God, do good things. And then if you do enough good things, you might make it to eternal glory. A most radical Islamist would say what? Just blow yourself up and then hopefully you got a shot of meeting Allah in paradise. Not so with the gospel. You see, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can know for certain, you can trust at this very moment what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you can go to bed tonight with your head on the pillow and you can sleep well because you know whatever happens, you will be with him in heaven for all of eternity. You see, the idea of the gospel is that there is one holy, infinite, all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God who designed you. You personally designed you. One God who, who created you. Created you to be in a personal relationship with him in heaven for all of eternity. Yet what? Man sin. Man chose sin and caused a separation. I call it a, a gap, a huge gap between a holy God and sinful men. And what happened? God still loved you. God still loved mankind. And God still wanted to be with you. So what did he do? He made a way to close that gap. God himself came to earth in the form of a humble man. And that man was Jesus. And Jesus died for you. Jesus paid the price for your sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later so that we too can walk in the newness of a redeemed life. And God forgave you. 
doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what you have done in the past. When you hear a whisper that says, yeah, but you're, you're just worse than other people or what you've done, it can't be. That is a lie from the pit of hell and from Satan himself. God loves you and God died for you and God forgives you. And we understand that. There is hope. There is what? The gospel gives us a purpose for living life here on this earth. Now, what do we do? We trust that. We trust the power of the gospel to transform your life. And we tell other people how their lives can be transformed. Trust God. And you trust the word of God. A lot of people think that the Bible today, that Christianity today, it needs to be defended. I read a quote. I was so refreshed by this. Charles Spurgeon, years ago, he says it like this. Defend the Bible. I would rather defend a lion. Set it free and it will defend itself. That's the message that we take. Transformed lives transforming Lock Haven. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, how, how mighty, how glorious, how wonderful, how holy you are. Please let your kingdom come. Please let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please let us be faithful to serve you and to speak of you for your glory and not our own. Amen.